Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, good morning, Revision. Oh, good morning, Revision. There we go. My nine o'clock service, nobody had coffee. So I said, good morning, and I got it. I'm like, okay, we need to make sure I get some coffee going here. Anyway, my name is Jody Wiseman, for those of you that don't know me. Um, and I'm just excited to bring you um, the message this morning. So we are um, in a series right now called When the River Runs Dry. And there are uh, times in our lives where the river runs dry, or sometimes I call it walking through a, di- a dry desert or walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I know that we've all been there. We go through hard and difficult things in our life. And as I sat and started writing this, the Lord had really laid so much on my heart. And one of the first things he asked me was, Jody, in those dry, hard riverbed moments, are you trusting me as the source of everything that you possibly need? And I, what I realized is where God guides, he provides. And in our hardest seasons, in, in, in the river moments, in the hard moments, that it's those hard seasons that can be the most fruitful because we must realize there's purpose in our pain and we will all go through pain of some sort or some kind. But in that pain, in that pain we must allow him to mold us, shape us, refine us, and purify us because in doing that, he makes us look more like him. And then he gives us love and patience, peace, kindness, perseverance, and an unwavering faith and trust in him. And what I know is the demand that God has put on my life is also an indication of the blessing he has for me. And difficult times when they come, and they always do, I know for me, I so often go to the why me first. Like, really, God, again, why me? Why now, right? And as I was sitting writing this sermon, I kept thinking about what are the things that I allow to steal my focus away from God? And so quickly he answered to me, it was my sin. And I don't know if before a couple months ago, if I've ever really sat and thought about my sin. Like I asked, you know, hey, sorry for that. But to really sit and think about it. And so one day it was, um, I was sitting um, with my sister, Erin. She had just uh, graduated from seminary. And I said to her, I said, you know, Aaron, I am struggling right now. I am really struggling with my sin. Like, I feel like a sin, a failure, a fraud. Like, I feel like a hunk of junk. And of course, the first thing she said to me was Romans 8, 21. She says, there's no condemnation in Christ, Jody, so stop. And she said to me, I'm going to tell you the difference between condemnation and conviction. She said, condemnation is the devil making you feel less than. So when you say to yourself that you're a sinner, that you're a... That's what the devil will use. He will use that as a weapon against me. But conviction is the Lord laying something on your heart. So condemnation will make you feel bad about yourself. The devil will use that. But conviction is the Lord laying something on your heart. And so once I realized that I needed to stop saying those words and giving the devil power and weapons to use against me, because God, with conviction, starts with your heart, not condemnation and that he welcomes you back with open arms each and every time. And I remember weeks ago, Mike was preaching, I wrote this down, and he said, when things are costly, we retreat. 
which we know, like life is already hard. So diving into hard is hard. Self-reflection is hard, but we are a continual work in process. But the important thing is to acknowledge that we are not in control. But what we do control is our choices. So we have a choice. We can choose to be a slave to our sin, or we can choose to walk obediently with God. Because we can't speak the truth and believe a lie at the same time. And as, as I continued to wrestle with my sin, this word came up, and I really don't like this word, but again, God had convicted it on my heart, and I needed to look at it. The, the word lukewarm Christian. I was like, am I a lukewarm Christian? Am I a fraud? Are my actions and words meeting up? So that lukewarm Christian can be the person who will sit in church and believe the gospel, but will not be meaning, meaningfully engaged in his mission. Do we come to church for the week and then just check the box and walk out the doors and we're good? Does it stop there? Does it stop at the door? Does it stop at the parking lot? Or are we committed to the mission? Because with Jesus, there's no room for middle ground. We must be all in, using all, res- all of our resources to love his people and to further his kingdom. Which is hard because in the world today, the world says, you do you, boo. You do you. Make your happiness. You deserve it. Buy it. Yes. No. God says, no, I need you to love me and love my people and not serve yourself. So when you became a Christian, did it include that surrender to the mission of God? Because your talent is God's gift to you. But what you do with that talent is your gift back to him. So would we, this, okay, so some of you younger people aren't going to get this, but I said, if you, do you offer up a blank check to God, allow him to fill it in and cash it? Okay, so for young people, a check was a checkbook we wrote. So it's like getting a Venmo request from God, okay? So like, if you got a Venmo request, would you click on it and say, okay, and just let him fill in the amount, okay? So that's what it, a check is. So yeah, just a difference in age, it's fine. So anyway, so as I continued to, to wrestle with the sin again, God revealed to me, it's so crazy how this is what I do sometimes. Like I get so worked up that I forget to maybe pray about it or read my Bible. So one night I had been praying and I opened up my Bible and I came upon Matthew 6, 24, which by the way was underlined and highlighted. So I've already thought it was important at a different time. So Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in that moment, God showed me what my sin was. I was holding tight to my money. I was realizing that my money was predicting my mood. Whether I had a lot of it or a little, it was predicting my mood. And I would check that account three, four times a day. And what that number said on that little screen was my security. And what I realized is after I I had been married for a long time and not worked a whole lot outside of the home. And so now here I was as an adult having to work full time and I had a mortgage and two kids and like, it was very overwhelming for me. But what I realized in my greatest fear turned into my greatest idol. And I remember this summer when Mike was preaching about building the church. I can't imagine standing up here for three weeks and asking people for money. He did such a good job. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, but this is what he said to me and it convicted my heart. Again, as I was wrestling with sin, now God's showing me it's my money I'm wrestling with. And so Mike said, do you give some? And I was like, oh, I give some. 
like some, <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, at the end of the week, I pay my bills, I fill up my tank, I get my groceries, and then I got some cute new shoes, and then I might have got my nails painted, and then I had these really cute earrings, and then, and then on Sunday, when the bucket came around, I'd just open my wallet, and whatever was left, I'd, I'd throw in the, so I was giving some, but you know what I was doing? I was giving you my leftovers at the end of the week. And it made me think, what if God gave us his leftovers? What if he only gave to you as you gave to him? I know in times I'd be in trouble because there's sometimes I didn't give to him. So again, as I continue to wrestle with this, again, it says, test me. Malachi 3.10, it says, test me, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room to store it. And I said, okay. So God laid on my heart, Jody, I need you to give till it hurts. So I'm just gonna like welcome you into Jody's mindset. So when God lays something on my heart, like if it's send a text, make cookies, make a meal, send a card, pick a friend up, make a phone call, like I'm, I got it. Yep, John Anna spot, I got this, I got this. But the minute God put his hand into my wallet, I was like, so after God says, I need you to give until it hurts, I remind God, oh, hey, Jody, uh, Jody here, God, yeah. Uh, single mom shopping at all these clipping coupons. Yeah, well, what, do you, what do you mean give till it hurts? Because like I open up my wallet and it's dry as a popcorn fart. So what do you mean give until it hurts? Because like I, I feel like it already hurts a little bit. And God's like, follow me, Jody. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be, yeah. Okay, so I'll wake praying along, get to, get to church on Sunday, turn my phone off, look into my wallet, and I'm like, ooh, I got a crisp $100 bill. Immediately, I'm like, okay, my kids aren't home today. I'm gonna go get a nice meal, maybe get a little pedicure. Just no longer did I put that wallet down. And the first thing is I look up and I see a young mom, a young single mom with a newborn. And God's like, need you to give till it hurts. That's where that's going. And instantly I'm like, okay, okay, yep. So I got up and I just put the $100 bill in her hand and I just said, but God. And she cried and she says, you have no idea how bad I needed this. And I said, but please just take it. And I remember, so then the next day, I'm like, so that was Sunday. So Monday I go, open up the mailbox, and here is a medical bill. And I'm like, yep, just gave $100 away, but here's medical bill. I open it up. It wasn't a medical bill. It was a check for $140 I had overpaid. So I give 100 on Sunday, and God gave me back 140 on Monday because he gave me my first fruits plus some interest because I choose to be obedient to what he called me to do. So in that he again showed me what I need to let go of because I was holding so tight to my money and allowing it to be my security. And he revealed to me that I was trying to serve two gods, God and money. So what does it look like when we serve two gods? So we've been going through the life of Elijah, you guys. And I, Elijah's a cool cat. I love Elijah. Like he had some growing faith. He did some bold things for God. Did he have questions? Yep. And next week we're gonna talk about how he gets depressed. Like Elijah's a regular dude, God, and I can so relate to him so many times. So here, what today our reading is going to be from 1 Kings 18, 21 through 39. So there's a lot of it. So I'm going to just kind of story it here a little bit. So this is what's going on. So they are now at a point, it's called Mount Carmel. So Elijah is going to meet up with King Ahab. And we've learned about Ahab. He's married to Jezebel. I call him the dy- dynamic duo of death. Those two cats are not good, good people. So Elijah walks up to meet Ahab. And the first thing Ahab says to Elijah is he calls him a troublemaker. And Elijah says, no, 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 
It's not been me that's made trouble, but it's been you and your, and your father's family because you've abandoned the Lord's commands and decided to follow Baal instead. So Elijah told Ahab, bring all your people, let's bring it. We're gonna have a showdown, come to Mount Carmel. So they all showed up and they're standing there. And Elijah says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? Of course, they said nothing. He said, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So Elijah says, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna bring up two calves. We're gonna put them on the firewood and we're gonna have a showdown. He says, then I need you to call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the one who answers by fire is God. So again, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Guess what? There was no answer from Baal. And they shouted, Baal, answer us, answer us. Still no answer. They even danced around the altar. And in verse 27, I love I loved this. Elijah taunted them. He says, shout louder. Perhaps he's deep in, deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. By midday, they became frantic again, because again, there was no response from Baal. So Elijah built an altar with 12 stones representing each tribe of Israel. And he put the bowls on the fire and he drenched each bowl three times with water. So now we're gonna go to verse 36 through 39. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me that so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell on. It burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And what I like in this is, of course, Ahab, the first thing he wanted to do was blame God and Elijah than recognizing his own sin, which it's, it's so much easier to do that. You know, it'd be like, well, you don't know what she said to me, or he started it, or mom, he hit me first. Like, it's so easy to blame somebody else. But we must recognize our own sin. And Elijah confronted the issue of sin head on, and he responded with a bold challenge. So do we, like Elijah, confront opposition the same way? Do we do it with boldness and a blind trust? Elijah had cried out to them, how long will you waver? Why, how long will you have two gods? And you have to understand, as Elijah stood up there in front of all those people, he was so vastly outnumbered. But he didn't stand alone because he knew he stood with the one true God. And at the time of the sacrifice, I love that Elijah passionately prayed to Lord make itself known that he was the God of Israel and to answer his prayers. And when he did, the fire from heaven fell. And every act of judgment recorded reveals the seriousness of our own sin and the offer to call to repentance. Because unconfessed sin doesn't threaten a believer's salvation, but what it does is it hinders the sweetness of our true fellowship with God. And we will never be able to cut off all of our sin the side of heaven, but it's about loving God so much that our desire to sin no longer exists. So God raised up Elijah to confront an evil kingdom and idolatry. And Elijah experienced God's tender care in a moment of desperate need. When you're desperate, do you believe and have faith like Elijah? Where do you run? Do you run to the phone or do you run to the throne? Do you believe and trust so deeply 
that you will, when you call out to God in desperation, he will show up. And as Elijah at Mount Carmel, he experienced God's power in a very public display of bold faith. Do we display our faith that boldly? When we do, it shows others that we believe in God's majesty and power. Or are you scared that you might get an unfollowing, a backlash, maybe a thumbs down instead of a thumbs up? Maybe somebody won't follow you. You guys, I have a story for you. I, a couple years back, I had volunteered at a nursing home uh, called Bishop Drum. It was a Catholic facility. I grew up Catholic. And so there was one wing where there was nuns, and then the other wing was just um, common folk, regular people. I, anyway, so um, there was a, a sweet nun who our relationship had grown over the years. And so one day I went into lunch and realized that she wasn't at lunch. And so I asked one of the gals, where's sister at? And she said, well, um, sister's become ill, and she's actually bedridden, and we have hospice involved now taking care of her. And I said, okay. So after lunch, I I went to sister's room and and her door was closed. And I remember I stood there looking at the door and I just closed my eyes and I passionately prayed to God. And I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm walking into, but I just need you to be my eyes, my hands, my ears, my feet, my words, my love, just everything. So with that, I opened the door and it was a beautiful sunny day and and her drapes were drawn and there was just a tiny light on in the corner. And when I opened the door, Um, I felt like a heaviness of desperation. Like if you ever have made cookies and you go to check on them and you open the oven and it hits you with that, that's what I felt. Like it was just a heaviness in the room. And so I walked up and I sat right next to her and I said, sister, how are you doing? And she had these little gold glasses on and she says, you know, not very good. And I said, would you like to talk? And she said, I would. And I said, what are you thinking about, sister? And she looked at me and she says, I'm afraid that Jesus was just a carpenter. And it made me think there's an old Catholic hymn called Some Young Carpenter. And I said, I didn't think I heard it right. I said, what did you say, sister? She says, I'm afraid that Jesus was just a carpenter. So if any of you know me, I'm very quiet and shy and not very bold with my faith. So in that moment, I jumped in bed with my nun. I grabbed her hand and I went nose to nose. Of course, the minute I jump in bed with my nun, the door opens, the cleaning crew comes in, there's two of them, their eyes get as big as saucers because I'm now laying in bed with a nun. They say something to each other, they leave, they slam the door and I'm like, great. They're gonna get security because I'm laying in bed with a nun. But in the moment, I just, I was not gonna let my sister, I knew my sister, I need to know that she knew. So I sat there with her and I said, sister, I'm gonna tell you. And I got nose to nose with her and I said, sister, I need you to know that God loved you so much that he sent his son And when Jesus died on the cross, that blood was shed for every sinner. That if you believe Jesus and accept him in your heart, you're forgiven. And his grace and mercy and love are new every single morning. If you believe that in your heart, so that when you get to heaven, your creator will look upon you and say, job well done, good and faithful servant. And your only job will will to be in his presence, giving him praise, glory, and honor for eternity. Do you want that? And she shook her head. So I said a little prayer with her and went home and again went back the next day and her door was closed. And again, I just said a prayer. I'm like, Lord, I know you are who you say you are. You never overpromise and underdeliver. So again, be my hands, my feet, my words, my ears, and my love. And so I walked in and her, her drapes were open that day and the sun was coming in. And I walked in and I looked, on, I looked at her and I saw just a blanket of peace that was on her. And I sat next to her 
And I said, how are you doing, sister? And she had this little smile on her face and she says, I know. And I said, what do you know? She says, I know that he wasn't just a carpenter. I know that he was my redeemer. And in that moment, I was so thankful that God used me like I am a sinner. I fall short all the time. But like Elijah, I, pray, I prayed boldly to the one true God that he would go before me, that he would provide for me in that situation. And he did. And what I realized that in that moment, it was, the, it was the light of God that shone in me was more powerful than the darkness that had surrounded me. So it's important that we not be consumed with fear, rejection, or loneliness, that we stand for what is right in the eyes of God because God's mighty hand is with us and we're never alone. So will you choose to stand with God even if it means standing against a crowd? God provided for Elijah in big ways. And the only way to see that is through eyes of faith. So where has God sent you to a humbling place to demonstrate his sufficiency? Now, it may not be crawling in bed with a nun, I know that. But what situation, what neighbor, what coworker, what partner, what friend, what sister, what husband has he sent you to that you can rely on him and his sufficiency? Because he handcrafts situations in our life that reveal our need and dependence on him. In John chapter nine, I, I've used this in other sermons, but I, this is where Jesus is walking and teaching with his disciples now. And so in John chapter nine, Jesus is with his disciples and there had been a man that had been blind from birth sitting there. And so the disciples had said to him, Jesus, why this man's been blind from birth? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said in John chapter nine, verse three, it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but Jesus did that, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So of course, with that, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, wiped it on this man's eyes and he could see. And it made me think, what if every single situation we've ever been in, the only reason is that we may, paint, may point the glory to God. Let him work in our story through obedience in us. That way our stories Will bring him glory. So we must walk forward with a God life confidence. Elijah had courage and unbelievable. I'm a rapper too. It's my side gig. Sometimes the thoughts in the mouth. Anyway, Elijah had courage and unbelievable faith and boldness. Was he uniquely gifted? Was he unusually brave? Yeah, maybe. But also, Elijah was a regular person with normal fears but a growing faith. So the bottom line is God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And he doesn't always call the equipped, he equips the call. So if he calls you, he'll equip you. And spiritual success is not these big external fireworks, but is a steady heart of obedience and faithfulness. So God powerfully provides for those who will stand with him. So will you stand even when it's hard and difficult? Or will you be self-reliant? If you're self-reliant, you're going to miss out because God will guide you perfectly, powerfully, and personally. And when he does that, it's important for us to have that constant communication and relationship and trust. Because when we do, we can hear his voice and then follow where it leads. So when the rivers dry up, and they will, will we complain and feel self-reliant? I know I have a million times. But what I've realized that in my desert dry season moments, he uses those moments to make me more like him. 
In Romans 8, 17, it says, if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. You know, when the Israelites had to go through the wilderness, you know, they were stuck in there for 40 years. Do you realize that should have taken them two weeks, you guys? Like, it was like a mile. Like, they should not have, it should not have taken 40 years. They got, well, they probably didn't let a woman stop and ask for directions. It was probably a bunch of men. But anyway, I didn't mean that. Anyway, they were stuck. They were stuck for, in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. They took their eyes off of God. They had false gods. They questioned. And wouldn't it be great if we could go from oppression straight into the promised land? It would, but guess what? That's what the wilderness is for. We've all walked through the, some of us are walking in the wilderness right now. But it's the wilderness moments that the Holy Spirit uses it to expose our mindset, to maybe change a certain way of how we're thinking or help us to recognize our sin in the wilderness. Because he also wants to sanctify us. And sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit sets the believer apart to live for God rather than for self and sin to get us ready for the promised land. I remember years back, I was studying the book of Revelation and, and it was talking about how um, in the reading part that when, when we meet our creator, that we will like see holiness on him and then we will be made holy. And I remember thinking that word holiness just was rocking me. And so I kept praying like, Lord, show me holiness. Now I know I won't fully get it until I get to heaven, but like here on earth. And so I'm thinking like holiness is just this light, fluffy, beautiful word. Yeah. Well, no, he showed me holiness again, not in the way that I had wanted him to. He obviously didn't get the memo on that one, but holiness means to be set apart. So I prayed for holiness. So he was setting me apart. He took people out of my life, removed things from my calendar and showed me where I was making compromising choices that weren't holy. He was setting me apart like I asked him to, getting me ready for the next season of life. And I rely on God's promises because his promise to us is abundant life. But we must rest in his will and his provisions for our life because God is always at work accomplishing a greater purpose than we could ever hoped or imagined for. And the truth about Jesus is his divine origin and redemptive mission and ultimate victory do not allow us to be neutral in the middle. We must be all in for Jesus because he longs to lead you to a life full of the highest possible joy. And a wavering, or, and a wavering of our faith needs to be exposed so that we may leave it behind and move into the preordained life that God has for you, for each and every one of you. Psalm 3410 says, those who seek God will lack no good thing. Do you feel like you're lacking a good thing right now? Well, then let me ask you, are you seeking God wholeheartedly? Because he promises a good thing when you seek him. Will you stand with a bold faith like Elijah did and realize that the light that's in you and shines is so much more powerful than the darkness that surrounds you? And I know that every day doesn't feel like our best. And sometimes the rivers run dry and the deserts seem long and hard. But God promises us in Genesis 41, 52, that God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So Lord, help pull us out of any place that would cause us to, to lose our focus on you. I ask that you give us protection and wisdom that favors us. Restore our vision towards everything that we've overlooked. And when we falter and fall, help us to rise again. Let our thoughts, words, hearts, and actions be of one accord. 
and know that our greatest satisfaction is found in you and service to you, Lord, that we will serve with our, fla- with our faith and not our flesh. And I pray that you will continue to let God to refine you in the furnace of his love because life is hard. And when life is hard, I pray that you cling to the cross so tight that you get splinters and invest in your eternal glory because things of this world are fleeting. Our homes, our money, it will all go away. And I'm here to tell you, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. We must allow God to sanctify us. It can be a painful process, but it's always profitable. So we must recognize God's tender, tender cultivation of our soul. It is for our greater good. And we can't take credit for the blessings and the spiritual growth that he gives us. But we must welcome the Holy Spirit because in welcoming the Holy Spirit, he will convict us of our sin. And then I pray for the empowerment to obey that. So God not only made a way for us to enter into heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, but he set his own spirit to transform each and every heart. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for your son and for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, be with us this week as that we may go out like Elijah and be bold believers and live out our faith, Lord. Help us to know that the conviction that comes from you is simply you asking us to come back to you, that we would repent of our sin and return to you, Lord, our lover, our redeemer of our soul. I thank you for this in your sweet and precious name. Amen.